Hey friends, it's good to be back with you on the podcast. It has officially hit summer here in Southern California. We have had almost, well, I don't know, the last five days, almost a week now probably, close to 90, 90 plus degree weather and hot. And I think here where we are located in Tahunga, it's right up against the mountains a little bit. And in the winter, it's usually about 12 degrees cooler than downtown LA. But I think in the summer, this time it's a little bit warmer than downtown LA because LA is a little closer to ocean level as far as altitude and so forth. And a lot closer to the beach. So the breeze is nice. Although just as a random caveat, if you ever get a postcard that shows the LA skyline smack on the beach, right on the coast, you know, that was majorly photoshopped because it's not that close to the beach. Anyways, you didn't want to know about that. Today I have on the podcast with me my friend Regan Schrock, who works uh, with quite a few different nonprofits, uh, working with refugees, as well as most recently a project called Anabaptist COVID-19 Emergency Response, which is particularly uh, working in New York City and trying to get provisions for people, families, healthcare workers in New York City. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit in this podcast, some of what he's up to. You may know him from Anabaptist Perspectives, which is a podcast and blog that he also works closely with. I am also with him on another podcast, which my brother started called The Third Way, where we discuss politics and Jesus and what it looks like for Christians to navigate the two. But today we're on Unfeigned Christianity and we are discussing COVID-19 and some of the ways that different churches, particularly on the East, is what we're going to talk about. Uh, Some churches that are helping out in the crisis, but then also on a broader scale, how we as a church can be helpful during this time. And so I'm looking forward to this episode with him. As always, if you want to support the show, if you enjoy the show and want to help out, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Asher Whitmer and support the show for as little as $5 a month. And when you do, you get access to some behind the scenes and extra resources and content as a way of saying thank you for your support. I'm so grateful for the 120 plus people who are supporting us through Patreon. That's one of the ways that we um, pay bills and stay afloat here in Southern California while going through college, while being involved in, in different ministry, while writing and so forth. And especially during this crisis, I also do handyman work, but that's kind of hit and miss because some of my clients are just scared and they have canceled different things. And, and it's been really meaningful to have people supporting us through that time so if you appreciate the show and you want to support it you can go to patreon.com forward slash asher whitmer and now for my conversation with reagan Shaw.
Hey, welcome, Reagan, to Unfeigned Christianity. It's good to have you on here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Asher. I've been looking forward to this for a while, actually. Yeah, we've batted it around, talked about it for a little while here. We, uh, It's interesting, I was just thinking this morning, just some of the ways we've gotten connected. I, I know a few years ago, I think you wrote a blog post for me. I, I was having some guest writers write, and mm-hmm. you wrote a blog post back then. And yeah, since then, you've gotten into particularly video work and podcasting with Anabaptist Perspectives. Um, and I think you have a couple other podcasts of your own, don't you? Yeah. Um, I actually have to stop and think. Um, so we have our Patreon-exclusive podcast with Anabaptist Perspectives. Um, I have a book reviews podcast, just kind of for the fun of it, me and a yeah. friend. Um, yeah, different different things here and there. You know, some they're not all very consistent. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I keep myself busy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's good to keep tabs on what all you're doing. You've you've been involved in a lot of different work, just particularly in the media world, but also in nonprofit world and and um, working with refugees in the Middle East. With I I forget the name of your the not the nonprofit you work with there. Yeah, that so that's good um, because we don't release the name publicly. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't ask. I didn't ask about that. No, that's good. Uh, that's I, great. I think I just um, we we have, you don't have to... cover names um, yeah. that we use for it. Um, but yeah, we've I've been involved in that work uh, okay. for about four years now um, in the Middle East. So we have teams in Iraq and Jordan. Uh, so I, I get to travel a lot for my work, um, which is really fun. Uh, I mean, okay, fun, but it's also like it's very sobering at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, when I first, um, well, I guess just for some background for us, uh, for my audience, uh, one of the ways we overlap in the last year or so is we're both a part of my brother Christopher's podcast, Third Way, The Third Way. And so that we haven't done an episode there for probably six months or so now. Yeah. I think, I think October last year or something. Maybe uh, batting around some more ideas for starting it back up here soon. But um, that's kind of how we, uh, have overlapped me, you, me, Christopher and Titus Kipfer. Um, but, oh, I lost my train of thought now. Oh, when I, when I first was going to have you on, I was, I was thinking about talking about your work in the Middle East and just, uh, particularly Anabaptists working with refugees in in threatening circumstances, situations. Since thinking of having you on, all this with COVID has come up and we have a new threatening situation um, that we're dealing with. And particularly, you have been a part of starting another uh, uh, Anabaptist COVID response, Anabaptist COVID-19 response. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It was kind of an emergency response type thing. We, We threw it together really quickly. Um, and, and honestly, you know, there's a lot of people involved. Um, a lot of others did most of the work, but I got to, got to be a part or am a a part. Um, that's been quite the ride, uh, quite the ride so far. Tell us a little bit about that. What, what all, what spawned it? Obviously we can probably kind of deduce what spawned it, but, um, what specifically initiated it and, and what kind of work have you guys been doing? Yeah, sure. So um, my good friend, Matt Landis, up in Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania. So Landis Technologies Computers, he put out just on Facebook, said, hey, I was thinking, get local business leaders together and let's do a video chat. 
um, about how is this affecting us. That was right when lockdowns were starting to happen. This is, I think, early. Um, man, I better be careful with my dates here. Couple couple of weeks ago. Um, so we're recording this towards the end of April, just for the record here. Um, so got some group, you know, different people together, a number of businessmen locally there in Lancaster County. And I was like, hey, I would love to be in on this conversation. I had just come from Europe at the time, actually. So I'd had some pretty firsthand, not firsthand, but you know, we were really close to the pandemic. At that point, it was really big in Italy and Germany. And uh, it was just starting to outbreak in the UK. Um, so I was like, I'd love to hear what these people would have to say. So I get on there. They're talking about all kinds of ideas as far as how they're affected as business. What can they do for their employees? How can they serve their local communities? And it was a really, really good um, experience bringing those people together. Um, so Matt Landis had kind of spearheaded that. And as a result, there's a number of people on that call that said, wow, like th these, these needs are serious um, and we should be getting involved um, in some way. So one of them, Merle Weaver, a good friend of mine, again, we worked together quite a number of projects <laughs> over the years, know him really well. Um, he said, hey, do you have any contacts in New York City? So this is a few days after that initial call. So I sent him all the people I knew in New York City. We had just been up there and about his perspectives, interviewing some people, I think it was like last summer. And that was Sunday night. Monday afternoon, he's like, hey, you have time for a video call? Hop on a video call. Goodness, he's basically built half an organization. We've got uh, a large uh, nonprofit, uh, Anabaptist nonprofit on the line. We've got a pastor up in Brooklyn's on the line. And we're like, okay, Pastor Anthony, you know, Anthony Kreider from he's the Pilgrim Fellowship up there. What do you see? What do you need? And he just laid it out. He's like, okay, here's what we've got. And then this other organization that was on the line um, said, hey, well, we've got funding. We've got logistics. Let's make this thing happen. Half a day later, literally 12 hours later, we had our first team on their way to New York City. Um, we had already created um, info sheets for people on how they could get involved. We had a web page up. Um, it moved so fast. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. Like, truly, uh, I've, I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, you had a lot of people that were really inspired to make it happen. So... Within a couple of days, we had, I don't know, 20 people or so in the organization making things work. Um, Bookkeeper, you know, we had a nonprofit we were using at that point. Um, networked with quite a number of churches in New York City. And out of that, you know, one of the struggles I think we have as a people is knowing, okay, what news can I trust? This is a really big issue um, in America right now. And so a lot of people were just like, well, we don't know, we're not sure. And there was a lot of indecision in our churches. And we felt, you know, our people want to get involved. They want to help, but they don't know how. They need some leadership. And it felt like that's kind of what, what we were doing. It's basically saying, hey, here's these churches in New York City. Here's their exact needs. Here's specifically how you can help. And when we started putting that out, you know, WhatsApp, on Telegram, on Facebook, it was truly marvelous how the churches, the Mennonite churches, were uh, mobilized um, to, to respond to those needs. So, yeah, here we are about three weeks later. Things are still going um, uh, as rapidly as ever. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, that's a little bit of how it started. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's really neat for as last minute as it was that it, it got <laughs> pulled together like that. Can't what believe it a, worked. yeah. What, which is just kind of a side note, is, is one of the things that 
I don't know. I, I'm a bias, obviously, because it's not like I've interacted with too many other church groups, but that's something Anabaptists are good for is emergency response and pulling together and, and dropping time and energy and money into making something happen like that. And it's exciting to see it fleshed out. What are some of the things that you guys have, um, some of the needs that you guys have addressed and still are needed? Yeah. Yeah. So, so to kind of give a big picture, yeah. um, my friends in, when it comes to the COVID-19 thing, it's either, it generally, it's one of two responses. The one is, oh my sheer panic, run around with your hair on fire. We're all going to die. The other one is basically it's a big hoax. It's just a flu, not a problem. It's, it's, it's a conspiracy basically. Um, and, and I really don't, honestly, I really don't care about either of those two responses. Um, that's not why we're here. The church is here to serve. So I, what we were trying to do with this, find the middle ground, call up pastors in New York City. They know their communities. We call up, you know, Anthony, especially there, there was a number of other um, pastors and churches, people we know. And he said, hey, I'm in and out of hospitals on a daily basis. I can tell you exactly what that specific hospital needs. I will hand deliver things. So the one hospital that was there, did not have surgical masks. They were completely out of masks. Uh, okay, that's a real problem. Regardless of the whole mask debate, you don't want your heart surgeon coming in without a mask. It's, it's a big deal. Um, so we work with some different medical professionals and we figured out ways we can sew masks that are obviously not as good as, you know, say an N95, you know, a medical um, grade mask but it's definitely better than using napkins and handkerchiefs literally that's what they were doing this is a hospital in brooklyn there's a number of hospitals doing this at that point um and he's and, and we said well how many masks do you need he said literally as many as you can sew at this point um until the industry kicks back up and they can you know start filling all the back orders that are needed for new york city so by this was all went down monday um, by Friday, we had a truck on the way to New York City with, I think it was like 2,000, 3,000 masks, um, which is insane. You know, that that was individual Mennonite ladies primarily, you know, at home sewing masks as fast as they could and hauling them off to a drop-off point. We grabbed all the masks. We sanitized them. You know, we, you know, we have to make sure we're all up to, you know, all that stuff. Um, we put filters in them. And yeah, they went to New York City that Friday, and then we just kept doing that. So as of now, I don't know, somewhere like 10,000 masks, I think, um, that we've delivered to New York City. And and again, this isn't like, we, we aren't just arbitrarily sending masks. You know, this is a pastor who knows medical professionals, who's there, and they're giving him specific, like, okay, we need that. Yeah, and then he brings it, literally takes it as a box, hands it to him, and it's awesome. Like we get messages and photos from EMS guys and, and hospital crews wearing the masks and being like, you guys are literally like you're saving lives. This is wow. huge yeah. because now we don't have to worry about, um, yeah. you know, possible infections themselves and things. Um, so that, that was the primary thing. That's where it started. Now, obviously now, you know, several weeks later, um, industry is starting to kick in. The need for masks is not nearly what it was and that's fine. Um, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll probably shut that down at some point. Um, but then the other one was just meals for people impoverished, um, groceries, you know, elderly who can't leave their homes because, you know, of because they're high risk individuals. So we started doing that. We've done, oh my, thousands and thousands of food boxes. I think it's like 9,000, 8,000 food boxes so far. Um, and then the last one we did was prepped meals 
fully packed, sanitized, you know, we're, again, medical staff supervising the, the operation where we would pack these meals for healthcare workers. So the healthcare workers, again, this is where the confusion comes in for a lot of people. Are the hospitals in New York City actually that bad off? You know, the, it, it looks so bad on TV and, and so forth. So we're like, okay, no problem. Let's call up some hospital staff, you know? So we started calling some Mennonites that work in the hospitals. And he said, uh, yeah, it's definitely bad. It's really bad. We don't have time to eat, literally. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're just too overworked. It's like, oh, well, let's pack pre-made meals for medical care workers. That way they can stay on the job and they don't have to worry about leaving the hospital, going somewhere, trying to get food, then coming back, having to scrub up, gown up all over. Like it's a, it's a huge mess, very inefficient. So we're taking in boxes of meals right into the hospital, drop them right off. Here's your lunch. Um, wow. Makes a massive difference, saves them a lot of time. Um, so again, we've done thousands of meals um, for healthcare workers. Um, as well and the one you know here just a couple days ago sent us a message he's like you guys this is a lifesaver he literally hadn't had a full meal like a real meal in like two weeks you know because they'd been running so so hard Um, yeah anyway long story that's that's what's going down wow that's really cool yeah i i have two siblings that are in the healthcare. they're nurses in hospitals um and my one is my brother is in a children's hospital so it's not directly connected with COVID as much as, as a adult hospital would be. But, um, still like part of what makes this such a big issue is that it's the time of year where emergency rooms and hospitals are already kind of maxed out. And then you have COVID on top of it. And, and both my brother and my sister have talked about just not being able to take time to eat. My sister's worked on the COVID floor, uh, several times and it takes, she has five patients. It takes three hours to make one round with all five. And they have to do everything. They, do, they don't let social workers and um, doctors and all, I don't know what all the different people, like on a regular unit, they would just be watching their vitals and making sure medically they're all taken care of. But they're doing wow. everything. They're given food. They're given all of this. And in three hours, something could major could happen to someone with COVID. And so there's the stress of like getting back there quick enough to see if, you know, have they gone into, uh, what, what do they call it? Code has, has they had to yeah, run a code coding? on them? And, yeah. yeah. Are they, are, is it ICU unit? Do you know, or, or not? Well, so my sister who works here in LA, it's, they basically turned a lot of units. So they shut down a lot of the, the extra units that are, I don't, I don't know what the term is, but, um, not as urgent a lot mm-hmm. of elective surgeries and so forth. And they've transferred a lot of that personnel to work with COVID specific patients. Um, and so that's what happened with her unit. She is back and forth some, she's not in the COVID unit all the time, but it's a it's a uniquely COVID unit, only COVID patients in that unit. So it's, I don't know if they consider it essentially ICU or not, but. Um, Probably. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. See, and that's the problem with, with this, you know, and I'm not a medical expert, but just from what they've been telling us, when you don't have enough ICU beds, it's, it starts becoming a real problem. So it's not a super deadly disease. I mean, you compare it to the black plague, you know, it's not 
that big of a deal, but when you're taking all these ICU beds and you start running out of ventilators, it starts getting scary, um, especially for the patients, you know, not being able to breathe well. That, that's a terrifying experience, and you can't have visitors come visit you. You know, the psychological toll of that would, yeah. Yeah, that would not be fun. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you're not only are, are they caring for the patients medically and even food and stuff like that, but then because of visitors not being able to visit, you're they're running relays between phone calls with family and then giving that, <clears throat> excuse me, giving that message to the patient and so forth. And it's it's true. Like there's it's if, if we're just looking at the amount of people that have died from covid compared to past pandemics, we could say, wait, this is way blown out, mm-hmm. <laughs> but how, how quickly it's, it's risen. And then just the psychological toll on the people that have it or who have family members who have it and the, um, mm. the healthcare professionals, like there's so many different dynamics at play. That's good to remember. As yeah. We... So what, um, yeah, just for the audience, if, if you want to look up more, of what Anabaptist COVID-19 response team. Is that the title? Am I getting that right? Right. If they yeah. search that on Facebook, there's a Facebook page. Is there a website too? With Yeah. Yeah, there is. So just anabaptistcovidresponse.org um, and okay. then Facebook slash Anabaptist COVID response. Um, and, you know, and to be fair, like this crisis may go away and, and we may shut down and not need to do this, or we may need to throttle yeah. back significantly. Um, but, you know, at this moment in time, at this intersection of time, hearing the needs from our brothers and sisters up in New York City, I, you know, we just couldn't sit by. Um, I mean, regardless of all the noise and controversy about how, how bad is it actually, honestly, I don't care. Like the debates yeah. on Facebook and whatever, I really, truly, like it, it, it honestly makes me upset about oh, well, we're not sure did actually this many people die or is it actually this bad? I'm like, I don't care. Like my friends in New York City, you know, doctors on the floors are saying, well, it doesn't matter. Like we are overworked and we need help. Please help us. We'll figure out the details later. Um, you know, and that's kind of been my my response. I haven't really, honestly, I haven't dug into that. I don't follow the news on it. I don't find that that's very helpful. I, you know, we work with medical professionals who are there that we know yeah yeah like and and pastors who understand the psychological toll you know and 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 it's real stuff it's this is what the church is made to do you know in times like this this is when the church really shines um and and instead it feels like i know this isn't true but it feels like instead of the church being a rising star um all we're doing is sitting at home in self-isolation watching netflix and spouting off on facebook and and it's a real missed opportunity um to to actually show the world like this is the stuff we're made of um you know i and i need to be careful i don't come down too hard on people but at the end of the day if you have time to to spread conspiracy theories on facebook you would have enough time to call up your elderly neighbor and say hey how, how are you doing can i go get groceries for you can i help you can i mow your lawn for you like that you that that's where the breakdown starts happening if, if yeah, you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly and even so th- the reality is there are people getting a call coming through here so <laughs> nice there are people um let me just quickly shut that off so it doesn't 
happen again. So important question. Do you, do you yeah. edit these podcasts? <laughs> I, <laughs> or you could uh, just leave this in just to make it interesting. Could, yeah, <laughs> I, I may just leave it in. I, I started out as kind of, no, it's unedited. It's unfeigned. Like there's no pretense, no whatever. Not that editing is pretense, but the, sure. just just to embody the, the goal of just um, sincere and transparent. But I've had more and more conversations where they go for like two hours or something. And it's like, well, <laughs> not everything we talked about is necessarily pertinent. So I, I do some editing. I also let if if my boys or something need something, they might knock on the door and it take a couple minutes. I might chop it down so it's like 10 seconds and the audience knows that something happened, but they <laughs> don't have to sit in quiet for, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, um, cool. Sure. I, I probably should ask before we were recording. So if the poor audience has to, has to live through another two minutes. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I, uh, I got a review the other day that said something. Are you familiar with Joe Rogan? Oh yeah. A little bit. I mean, I don't follow him really, but yeah. I don't know who it was that reviewed this, but he said it'd be interested. I'm assuming it's a, he would be interested in seeing a Joe Rogan style episode that goes for like three hours or so <laughs> whoa long form podcast dan carlin style okay i guess yeah so i'm assuming people aren't too uh turned off by the periodic <laughs> interruptions there but fun what were what was i getting ready to say I'm trying to think now um uh, we were starting to get into some of the practical stuff um, oh yeah yeah you were talking about um getting groceries and mowing lawn mm, for people. Yeah. Um, like there, there's people who really need that, that we could be, even though we're not gathering in groups of 10 or more or whatever the size is right now, but um, we could be serving them and, and helping out. There's also like for those of us that would be tempted to sit around on Netflix and just be like, hey, this is a vacation at home. I know in our community, like there's a lot of people we could be interacting with virtually, like chatting with or doing video calls or whatever, because they're prone to mental struggles while they're away from friends and family. And, um, well, obviously, maybe not family, but um, I think just to your point that there's like we need to be careful. What <laughs> Let's not spend our time spreading conspiracies or spouting our opinions even about um how this crisis is being handled like we're in a crisis and so no matter what however it gets handled there's going to be problems with it like we'll look back and be like okay next time we're going to do this differently like that's that's how they're handling this compared to five six years ago whenever um ebola and swine flu was and stuff they're looking back at things and being like okay let's do things different so that there's plenty of issues. That's not what we need to be focused on right now. How can we be a part of saving lives or preventing um, people from going insane or whatever? I mean, that's kind of a bleak outlook, but that's becoming a, right. uh, a yeah. real part of the problem as well. Um, right. So yeah, thank you for, for what you guys are doing. And thank, thanks, uh, Matt Landis. I, I've never met Matt Landis, but I've interacted with him on Facebook and so forth. And sure. Uh, just, Definitely appreciate his his um, vision for helping and getting practically involved. I'm curious, you um, just 
just to kind of transition a little bit from what you guys are doing and seeing to discussing a little bit more COVID as a whole and um, especially how the church has responded to pandemics in past, in history, and so forth. Before we do that, though, you mentioned Matt was connecting other business leaders and how it was affecting them and so forth. And then it kind of transitioned to helping out in New York City. How is one of the things I've been trying to get a better handle on is how is COVID, the lockdown and so forth, affecting businesses? Like, what was was there more conversation about how to help the businesses from that mm-hmm. as well? Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, one of the brothers on the call, you know, his business had been shut down for several weeks at that point already. Um, I forget exactly what industry, but obviously it was deemed non-essential. And he has, I think it was a couple dozen employees or something like that. Um, and of course the office guys can work from home, but like when it comes to industry, you know, manufacturing, it was that, that type of work, you know, you just have a couple dozen people that are sitting at home with no pay that's serious um that's really sad because a lot of these people do they, they don't have a savings account say um now i'm not you know was it a right call to shut down business not i don't know if that's really the issue at, at this point um but you know he said what they had been doing even before any of the lockdowns they had instigated some pretty rigorous um you know, sanitation policies are wiping stuff down all the time. They're decontaminating things all the time. If anybody has the slightest amount of sickness, they were supposed to not come to work and they would still get their pay for that day because they're like, we will do everything we can to choose the high ground, take the high ground in these situations. Even if, you know, some of the regulations, you know, might have seemed a little bit excessive in his particular situation. And he said, really, that wasn't the point. Um, the point was we care about people. We love people. Um, he's like, you know, if there's anything we can do to, to, to help do our part, be a good witness by the respect that we give, um, and, and, um, help our employees stay healthy, you know, that's what we want to do. So one of the first things they did is they promised their workers two weeks of pay, even after they got shut down, um, to give them enough time, you know, build a little buffer, you know, till the stimulus check came till the, whatever that the unemployment came. Um, and I thought, you know, that's really neat. Like here's someone who, who, you know, maybe there's some elements he doesn't agree with. That's not the issue. You know, I want to care about my employees and their families. Um, we're running into the same thing with our business down here in Tennessee. You know, so far we're deemed essential. It hasn't affected us too much. But, like, if we get shut down, I hate to say it, but, I mean, there's a number of our employees that would go hungry because they just they don't have any money. Um, and that's, that's serious, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of businesses in those types of situations right now, mm-hmm. unfortunately. There is, I do, one of the things that I do to support ourselves here in California is I have a handyman business. And so handyman work is considered essential, but a lot of my clients have canceled or postponed. And so like the middle of March, I think it was the 15th of March, I had March booked, but then all of a sudden it was just totally empty. <laughs> and so, wow, you know, and the thing... So I'm thankfully I'm not responsible for other families. I just it's it's um me and my family. I'm just a sole proprietor. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, the that's the thing that I've thought a lot about too is we can 
debate and argue the necessity of like it seems the conversation gets pitted medical versus economic when the reality is we're in a crisis we're in a crisis and so everything is being affected and that's a tragedy how can we help like how can we make it through this um so are is there anything that covid anabaptist covid response team is doing for businesses particularly if if any of our audience is looking for something or is it just kind of a a a way of Mm -hmm. keeping in in tune with things yeah we're not doing a whole lot with businesses um at this point um one example though would have been some businessmen said hey there's a food processing plant of some kind i forget exactly what um that supplies grocery stores that they had to lay off too many people because of illness or um because they were scared to come to work they're like we got to keep the doors open. This is an essential. Definitely. You know, this is supplying grocery stores. Can you blast this out to your network and get us some temporary employees for one week? And I mean, they'll pay like, let's, let's get, we got to keep these assembly lines going. We decided not to put it on like our official COVID response channels, but each person on the leadership just put it out to their church. Hey, is anybody looking for work? Just like that, within a day, we had enough employees to keep them going for a couple of weeks. Um, and that's the beauty of, you know, the Mennonite networks where they're like, yeah, yeah, like we'll step in. I mean, here's a here's a real need um, to keep the doors open on some of these businesses. Um, you know, but yeah, the whole economics versus medical science clash, like, honest, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not really that's above my pay grade. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but if each person, you know, does what they can to help, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot of ways we can pull together and come through this without trying to have a big pushback and rebel against whatever, you know, this is not, I think the problem is that, you know, some people, I guess, think it's somebody pulling strings and it's all big scam as you know, at the end of the day, this whole situation is really not ideal for everybody basically everywhere and and it's not fun you know nobody wants to see this keep going on um no. nobody mm-hmm. does and that that includes yeah. you know all your economists your wall street i'm you know everybody is kind of annoyed at the instability um so whatever we can do to keep to, to keep the peace i think is 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 wise at, the, at this yeah. point yeah 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 you know i'm not at all given Really, I don't think I'm given to conspiracy theories, but uh, my wife was tracking this all the way in the be- back in the beginning of January. She, um, we've spent some time in Asia, and so we like to keep our our tabs on Asia. And she saw it coming up in t- in China, and just kind of followed it on YouTube, some some news channels over there, and would talk with me about it. And my initial response, and honestly, because I've read too many stories and seen too many movies not educated at all but my initial response was like oh bioterrorism (laughs) (laughs) and i've thought about that since and that was way back before we knew like how serious this actually was um but there's not even no matter what route you take to consider bioterrorism there's not a logical conclusion like who's who's trying to get who um and so everybody's in a bad way right now (laughs) everybody's in a bad way yeah and there's no government benefiting from this there's no i don't know of any particular people group benefiting from this and see yeah like there's two problems one one is a lack of understanding about the global scene in general 
Um, that's that's an issue that's always kind of been an issue where we don't have empathy towards you know the people of China, the people of India, the people of whatever. whatever. But the other issue is not enough localization, if you know what I mean. Like localized as in, hey, my hospital needs hospital gowns. Wow, like let's sew hospital gowns. Like that's a real thing. Honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, literally cold call your hospital and say, do you need this? I uh, There's a good chance they do. Maybe not by the time you listen, but like that's a, that was a real thing for a while or is a real thing. Um, so there, there's two there, there's two problems where we don't fall in either one. We don't actually have a good understanding of the global scene and we're not understanding the local dynamics of how the church can serve its community. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, I have a lot of friends who seem to think this is only regulated to America. And I was like, man, you, you need to become friends with people in India right now, yeah, yeah. you know, or the Middle East. It's bad. Yeah. They, you know, they're starving to death inside their homes because of lockdowns. That's a problem, you know? Um, and here we are complaining, oh, you know, I have to sit at home with my Netflix and boo-hoo, sad, sad for me, you know, that's just really selfish and and sad. Like, you have not had to sit in lockdown where you literally will starve to death within a few weeks because of the lockdown. We don't understand how bad it could actually get. Now, I'm not saying it'll ever get that bad. Probably not. But that's what's happening to a billion people in India right now. Um, I mean, I have friends there. I was getting a score of messages from the one, you know, yesterday. And he sent me all these pictures. You know, they're starting to do food distributions because people are just going to starve, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. that was a bit bit of a rant there. But, I, yeah, I, it is a little <laughs> disconcerting how, how, how little empathy the church can have sometimes for yeah. the rest of the world. Um, so kind of dovetailing off that, because, yeah, I I've, we have friends as well. They're... I see people on Facebook freaking out because they were told they couldn't get gas without a face mask. And in India, they're being beaten by police if they go out under their shelter at home. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) It's like something's a little off here as far as what we're... And I think a lot of our... I think a lot of it is fear that we would get to that place where we are India and... And then we we don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit more down the road. But let's back up a little bit down the road in this conversation as far as how the church should respond in when governments don't give us rights. Um, what is the – we talked a little bit before we turned the mics on. Um, what is the kind of a – now, this isn't anything that either you or I are super – educated on but what is the history of how the church responds in pandemics you mentioned some things that nt wright has has talked about i um in college i read uh, the rise of christianity i don't know if you're familiar with that book yeah yeah by rodney stark and he that's mm-hmm. one of the things he brought out is under the roman empire the church was the one with major pandemics that was out helping people and people could find um through I'm not quoting him. I'm just pulling on my memory. But it was essentially through pandemics, the church was growing because of how involved they were being in, in people's lives. Mm-hmm. You want to talk some more about that? Like what? Yeah. What is the history of the church in pandemics and how how can that help us in this one? 
Right. And I, and I think some of the reason people are, are so not sure what to do um, is they don't quite realize, you know, brutal disease, pandemics, um, the Black Plague, these have been normal human experiences since time immortal. Like that is just how the world works. Diseases are deadly. And back when they didn't have microscopes and didn't understand bacteria and viruses and so forth, there was very little you could do to stop them. Um, and, you know, and we think it's bad now. It's not bad. I'm sorry. Just you just get over it, because back in the day, you're talking some of these towns, 90 percent or more would be wiped off the map. You know, we just do not have a box in our brains to understand how devastating that would be. And it would happen multiple times. You know, it was just kind of a, a normal thing. Oh, yeah, of course, half your kids will die of disease before the age of five or whatever. Um, you know, there was numerous outbreaks in the Roman Empire where, like, this was pretty typical. So there'd be an outbreak. They would start quarantining different cities off that had it. So trade stops. So people are starting to starve. People are dying horrific deaths from the disease because there's no way to treat them. You know, they don't have air conditioning or ventilators or, you know, vaccines or, well, maybe I shouldn't even mention vaccines. It's too controversial. But, but you know, they didn't have basic medical care that we take for granted today. So what would happen is all the rich folk would, you know, take some of their servants and go to their country villas and just hang out there for a while until the pandemic would run its course and kill everybody off. Then they would move back into the city. It was very normal. The Christians on the other hand, would stay. They would stay in the city, and they'd be the ones to treat people. You know, and when we say treat people, like, imagine the streets of ancient Rome, you know, with a lot of the population wiped out, all the rich people gone, everybody's starving, and you see these Christians walking the streets, going into people's homes, caring for people, helping people that are literally dying on the cobblestone streets. Um, and And just to add to that picture a little bit, there's trash and urine and mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff in that in those streets like yeah it's not a clean yeah. american street yeah because yeah, like essential services you know like that would all mm -hmm. disappear very quickly mm -hmm. um everybody's fighting for their lives at that point and so the christians would stay and actually treat these people and especially after the pandemics would be passed people would look back and say wow like who who are these jesus followers you know nobody else cared why why would they do this and to be honest, you know, they would get sick and die. You know, it's not like they were superheroes. These are normal human beings like us um, who said Jesus called us to serve. We are going to serve. And this is not a one-time thing. This has happened many times in church history. A plague would come through. The Christians would be the ones who would turn their monastery into a, a field hospital. They would, you know, research the best medical science of the day to try to find cures. They they were the ones who, who said, we need to self-isolate. We need to quarantine our town. Um, we have these ideas like isolation and quarantine is like this weird cross we have to bear that's oh so sad for us 21st century um people who have it so soft but i mean that's a very normal experience that our forefathers went through quite a lot um i i think it's helpful for us to take a step back and realize the church has handled this they've handled things that honestly look a lot worse than this and and as a result christianity almost always spread faster and more effectively than the virus ever did. 
um, mm. which I think is pretty cool, you know? Um, so yeah. at the end of the day, the church yeah. wins, you know, in these situations. Yeah. Um, and here we have this opportunity to, to do so again. Um, and what a testimony looking back 50 years from now, you know, our grandkids would be like, wow, you lived through the pandemic of, you know, 2020, what was it like? And we'd be like, we were there. We were there serving. We were caring for our neighbors. We did what the church was made to do, not out of pride, but because that's who Jesus made us to be. Or we can say, ah, we sat at home, watched Netflix, and ranted on Facebook. Um, you know, those are the two responses. You're going to be one or the other, you know, and, and yeah. think about that. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so does that mean, are you suggesting we should go out and meet as a church on Sunday and that? That's a great question. <laughs> Flesh that one out a little more. Well, I guess my I'm I'm being a little uh, rhetorical. Um, uh-huh. What I hear you saying, and based upon history, is that we need to be out caring for people who need help, whether that's people who are sick with the flu or people who are elderly people who need to, especially be the ones quarantining who can't go get their groceries, who can't mow their lawn, stuff like that touching in with people who might be prone toward mental illness do, during a time of isolation, stuff like that. Like we need to be engaged and active and moving throughout our culture, society. But what I see on Facebook is a lot of discussion about getting churches back together again and our right to meet for worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is less, this is less about whether I think we should do that anyways. Like obviously I, I am not excited about a future of a church that is just virtual because church and ministry is can only happen face to face, flesh to flesh, like real mm, um, yeah. physical interacted relationships. But church services and gatherings and times of prayer and times of worship can happen virtually. Um, and so our fo- maybe our focus should be less on trying to get back together as a meeting and more on how can we help, like, mm-hmm. like you're saying. Mm-hmm. But should we? Like is, is um, gathering together, is that a, a huge part? Like did historically, did the church continue to gather even when they were told to isolate or something like that? So great question. I don't know historically, honestly, how, how that worked. I do know, I think this relates, but Martin Luther, for example, there was a plague that came through. Um, and, and there's, he wrote a, a piece, um, uh, a little track is what they call it, um, on how Christians should respond. And he basically says, Hey, we need to do what healthcare professionals are telling us to do. I mean, we need to quarantine. We need to wash our hands. We need to, whatever the things that they were being told to do. Um, and so I know that that was a pretty common response. Um, I think this is sad. Um, you know, but yesterday, you know, friend of mine on Facebook, you know, posts about how I was reading this book about the church in communist China and how they had to meet in secret and they couldn't come together and it was terrible and awful. And oh my goodness, we're at the same place today, you know, because we can't meet in person, persecution, communism's coming for America, run for the hills, basically. And I was like, uh, we're just following basic healthcare guidelines here. Like, this isn't a permanent situation, you know, and I think. People's lack of patience is is astounding to me. They think that they can't go virtual for a couple of months or something. It's it's like they have this view it's going to last forever. It's not. You know, this thing's going to pass. All things pass. Um, 
churches will be able to open again, whatever. You know, I don't, I, I'm not really worried about that. Uh, you know, my church, for example, has some people that would be very high risk, um, have pre-existing conditions, elderly, that kind of thing. And, you know, we, we shut down services voluntarily weeks before there was any kind of order in our state, even before there was a serious amount of cases, not because we're terrified the sky is falling on our heads, but like it would be really terrible, honestly, like that lose yeah. some people in our church. And so it was just like, well, we just want to care about these people. We'll get together in person at a later date. Not that big a deal. Nobody's freaking out, you know, and and I really respect my church leaders for, for making that call because honestly, it wasn't exactly a popular decision at that point. Um, now, of course, everybody sees it was the right move. Um, but to the idea that this is some type of persecution and so evil that we can't get together. You know, if I have a serious flu, I am not going to go to church on Sunday because I would hate to give that to my family, you know, my Jesus family. That would be lame. Like, I would be a, a bad person to want to give that. And you know what? We understand that these things do transmit person to person. Would you wish your disease on somebody else? Um, yeah. yeah. Just a little common sense goes a long way, you yeah. know? Um, anyway, a lo- long, long rant there, but that one, that one gets me in just a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah. Why, um, my mom, just to dovetail on that, my mom used to get exasperated sometimes when like a common cold would just cycle through our church community over and over again, because people weren't like, let's just stay home for a little bit. Or, exactly. You know, especially if you, if you have it, um, just, just care about people, you know, just be yeah. nice, like just be a good yeah. human being. And don't pass yeah. disease. I mean, you know, and that, and it's kind of crazy that we have to even make that point. That is such a basic point of humanity. Um, that that is a a real way to love your neighbor. Um, you know, my landlord is an elderly um, fellow. I mean, he's in good condition, but I mean, he's he's an older guy, and and him and his wife, and we love them dearly. But guess what? Like, we haven't seen them for over a month, and we miss that. We used to hang out a lot, but like, out of respect for them. I'm not going to go visit them right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I can visit them a month from now. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. So, yeah. And just as, as, um, kind of dovetailing with the business side of things, something I've tried to do is a lot of in handyman work here in LA. A lot of my clients are older people. And so that's partly why it got all shut down. And so I try to, touch base with them just hey how are you doing you staying healthy you um staying engaged now there's two reasons i do that for and i'm not sure which one is the actual reason so you can tell me one is i think it's i I want to care for them as a christian business person it's more than just the money i want to care for them the other one is i think it's a way of developing loyal customers (laughs) when i care for them (laughs) sure through a pandemic and so um yeah let's let's find ways we can respect those especially at high risk and then also care for them as we can Mm, yeah yeah exactly why yeah why why do you think we freak out why why do we see this as a communist an overreach of government uh the uh yeah why are we so prone to conspiracies i don't know if we'll ever fully understand why um but in the circles that i that I'm familiar with is primarily Mennonite, Anabaptist, etc. And to be honest, it is, it, it is blowing my mind. Um, I, I can't open up Facebook 
right now without at the top of my feed seeing some type of conspiracy. Um, I I will say, I I do believe our people specifically are very gullible. Um, unfortunately, we see a YouTube video that says something that might confirm a certain bias we have. Like we tend to be a little skittish of government authority, quote experts. You know, like we're a little. You know, and there's a that's actually that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's okay to not swallow what experts tell you as hook, line, and sinker. That's okay. But if you have that bias, which it's a bias, everybody has a bias. Just that that's just kind of how we are. And then you see a YouTube video that confirms your bias. It's like, oh my goodness, I was right all along. And then without even thinking, you share it to Facebook. And then it becomes a thing. And then someone might say, oh, you're wrong. Well, then you got to push back. And it becomes this thing where we. We're now engaging as if that person is my enemy. Um, and, and at the end of the day, that whole process started was because you had a certain way of looking at the world. You found something that fit and you shared it. I'm going to say prematurely before you researched it, it just because it's on YouTube doesn't make it true. If a, a good thing to keep in mind when you're doing research or when you see something on Facebook, if it immediately makes you angry terrified or deeply concerned almost always it's hyped or it's just straight up not true um that that is that is a really easy metric to use now that can apply to literally anything that you see if it makes you go oh my goodness that's terrible it's probably exaggerated um not always but just right there take a step back be reasonable call up someone who might know a little more about it than you dig into the sources think think things through and i yeah i just i don't understand it i mean yeah people are just yeah. really gullible i guess i, I don't know yeah. and even with what you're saying like even if you look like look at both perspectives because something that you'll find is i'm trying to think of a concrete example that i could point people to but um like the confirmation right now but the confirmation yeah bias. Con- Oh, no, you, you posted a great one today. Mark of the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> perfect confirmation bias example. I mean, perfect. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like everybody, everybody's um, freaking out about ID2020 and the Mark of the Beast and all that. And um, and so, yeah, go go on my Facebook. Uh, one of my professors, Matthew Halstead, posted a just a response to that and just kind of parsing through like what is actually the Mark of the Beast according to Revelation, what's Revelation talking about and essentially says the mark of the beast is not going to be anything that you accidentally get or that is a medical procedure um but people have a confirmation bias that that is how they viewed revelation so when they see the possibility this vague something they don't understand might get injected into them because of this pandemic they immediately freak out and say well see i told i told you it's true see the mark of the beast is true it confirmed the bias they already had and i'm not i don't i need to be careful i don't trash those people as dumb or no they're not they're not Mm -hmm. they genuinely Mm -hmm. believe this but mostly because they had already came to that that this was the way it was going to be yeah yeah and then they see so and i mean i do this all the time too so i I need to be careful about it it's something we all need to be aware of and it is so easy to do um anyway Mm -hmm. sorry i feel like i kind of interrupted you there no yeah that's good like we it's yeah as you said we all have a bias and it's okay like our bias may even be good 
But rather than just when we see something that confirms it, rather than just sharing that right away, let's look at what other voices are saying and let's engage the two. And sometimes we discover that they're talking about two separate things. And so they're both like true, but they're talking about different aspects of the medical, like um, just the the way uh, deaths are being reported and all that. That's been a huge one that yeah. it's like when you listen to somebody talking, uh, one of the interviews going around and then you listen to actual health ex- healthcare people who've been writing death certificates since before COVID-19, you discover, oh yeah, it's true. They're putting other things down as well. Like it's not just COVID-19. Well, that's that's how it's always been. That's how you do it even in non-crisis times. Um, mm. And so gaining a fuller perspective. Uh, also, the, the other thing that's pretty typical that I try to smell out is what's the incentive for this person sharing this? And there's it's election year. There's Senate. There's doctors running for Senate. Uh, they're going around on YouTube videos, we're sharing them about that. And so like, just be aware of that. That's, they have a political incentive for their position. It's not, we don't have to assume that they're completely wrong, Mm -hmm. but we just take that part of the information as well as we try to discern what they're saying. Um, Also, just because somebody has got a doctor doesn't mean they're an expert in epidemiology or viral infections. Like look at what their doctorate is in. Yeah. It, it, It would be like saying, a carpenter. Oh, I'm a carpenter, but I specialize in flooring as opposed to roofs. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or something like that. We don't. Yeah. I, I mean, like when the whole, okay. So like the death certificate thing, I don't know. I don't care. I'm not a medical professional. I, I'll let somebody else handle that. But like, I literally just called him up. My friend in, in Brooklyn. No. Yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> Sorry. I keep getting Bronx and Brooklyn mixed up because I have friends in both. But anyway, he's a surgeon up there. Great guy. We did an interview. It's up on Ambassador's Perspectives. Check it out. But basically, I was like, "What? what is it like out there? And he said, literally, I look out my office window and there are piles of bodies. Okay? That's morbid, dark, and sadistic, but that's just the way it is. My hospital literally ran out of body bags. The, the morgue is overflowing and they have a refrigerator truck parked outside my window and they're tossing bodies in. Now, I don't care what caused the deaths that's bad like that is not a normal experience for a city to go through and that's terrifying and that, well, I mean, okay i need to be careful i don't become fear-mongering myself but like that really like whoa you know that made me sit back and be like oh my that that's that's really tragic um and there you know the the, the families can't have a funeral for these people who died because of the virus all these things it makes for a really nasty situation so can we get past the details of how medical experts are whatever I, I don't care a lot of people are dying way more than normal in new york city I, i'm not saying across whatever but in his hospitals it's bad and and he's basically saying can we just please stop arguing and just love these people because this is a really rough time for him i mean he's losing patients frequently you know patients who who beat cancer and then they're immune systems are low and then they get nailed by the virus and then they die and yeah. he said it, yeah. it is so hard making those phone calls um to their family you know and um and so all that to say can we please look past trying to win an argument and say wow that is tragic what an opportunity for the church to step up and do what we're supposed to do instead of arguing about numbers you know that's not our job as a church to say 
oh, I think all the doctors are conspiring and forging death certificates. That has nothing to do with their job description. Um, I don't really care, even if that were true, which I, I definitely don't believe it's true. I mean, I, I have medical friends. They would never forge a death certificate. Yeah. Um, even if that were true, it wouldn't change anything about our responsibility. You know, it, yeah. it really wouldn't. Um, yeah, exactly. Anyway, bit of a rant. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, and that's just, but again, instead of instead of letting Facebook get you all flamed up because somebody posts something inflammatory, step back, call a friend in New York City and say, hey, is this actually real? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Call a friend in New York City or any healthcare personnel worker who's regularly caring for patients or potentially filling out death certificates. <laughs> the, I like, need to be careful there's... I don't get cynical because it's just like, how yeah. dare you accuse my friends of lying? You know, but but I, yeah. then I then I get personally emotionally involved and that's bad. So I need to, I, I should not I shouldn't do that. But like I had a friend message me and say, yeah, they're forging death certificates, and I messaged back and said. You're calling my friends liars. That's bad. You just crossed a line. Like these are my friends. They would never lie. Yeah. You know, I know yeah. them. Um, <laughs> I think I was and, I was a little bit harsh, and I, I apologize if he's listening to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have responded quite that strongly. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I I don't think people realize how they're indicting their brothers and sisters who are in the medical field by some of the things they say and share. And, it, and if they were to stop and picture one of those healthcare workers that they know right before they share or type out, yeah, I think they'd change what they'd say a little bit or 100%, how 100%, 100%. Because, hmm. yeah, and, and even just like I've watched some nurses and doctors interacting on Facebook and stuff and people literally – they view what they say, which is firsthand account. They've been in this at least a year, which is, I mean, you're, you're spending at least 36 hours a week in a hospital. Um, that's way times that by 52, whatever that is. That's way more than most of us spend in a hospital in 10 years. Um, let alone like some, some of my friends are doctors that have been in for going on 10 years now or more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. And we're we're saying we're taking them at the same face value as some political pundit on Fox News or Epic Times or whatever. And we're we we sit back. I've seen people say, well, I'm just not sure what to believe. And it's right there. Like the firsthand <laughs> accounts are yeah. right there in front of you. I uh, again, a friend of mine posted on Facebook. Somebody had went into a hospital or, or near a hospital, yeah. took video footage, New York City. See, there's no patients here. It's fine. And I was like, did they go inside the hospital with actual medical care professionals? It ain't empty in there. And I basically, I commented, again, I tried to keep my cool, but I was like, look, we have a team, guys I helped train. I know them well, wonderful brothers in the Lord, great guys, professional emergency response personnel. They're working with EMS. They're in these hospitals every day. I have surgeon, a friend who's a surgeon in these hospitals. I have pastor friends that are up there. They've been in those hospitals. You want to see photos? It is not true. And and it was one of those things where he posted and say, well, I just don't know what to believe anymore. I'm like, it's not that hard. Like, like find, I mean, there's, there, you know, so he's a Mennonite. Okay, so find some Mennonites up in New York City. Ask them, is that hospital actually full? Please do that before sharing it to all your friends and now making them all the more confused. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's... There, again, it comes back to that thing when you see something on especially social media, YouTube, whatever, that inflames you to feel either like really scared or angry. 
almost always it's a slanted bias with a very intentional agenda and i'm not getting political it can be right wing left wing i don't know i don't care you know both sides do this because there is a real um if you can get people mad at the other side you can win votes you know and and this becomes a really nasty game really quickly and it and it saddens me that medical professionals have to get wrapped up in a political in a political scene um instead of actually doing their job um, yeah. but anyway yeah. another rant i need to be, i need to, yeah i need yeah. to stop now <laughs> <laughs> if um if this was all a hoax the the surgeons that specialize in elective surgeries who are getting all their surgeries canceled and are now working to take care of covid patients like they wouldn't put up with it they wouldn't oh my goodness they would be standing saying no we this is baloney yeah but they're not and so anyways yeah we could um conspiracies i the, i i genuinely believe this okay i i do not see how conspiracy theories even if they were true would serve the body of christ like as in what every time i see a conspiracy theory on facebook first thing that goes in my head Will this help me love my neighbor better? Well, no. Like, why? Why would no? Why would the latest conspiracy theory about Bill Gates, which everybody's going to forget in in two weeks when a new theory comes out, how is that going to help me serve my neighbors better? It's not, you know. So why would I waste my time researching that when hey, I could actually do something with my life? Um, yeah. Anyway, kind of making the same point in a different way. Yeah. No, and that's exactly. Exactly true, and maybe we've been at talking about this about an hour now. So, um, <laughs> why don't we wrap up? Just what are three things that every one of us? We don't have to be a medical health professional. We don't have to be a business person. We could be that person sitting at home on Netflix, spouting on Facebook. What What are three very practical ways we can love our neighbor better during this time? Number one, you have a moral obligation to do everything you possibly can to not get people sick, to love your neighbors and to actually care about the church and what the church is doing. You, you, you do. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have a moral obligation to do that. That's commands from scripture. So start there. And that's going to look different for every person. And then the second thing I would say is simply mind what you say, like your words matter. Um, if, if you're the one who gets on Facebook and bashes all the, you know, the liberals or the conservatives or the whoever, you know, mind what you say. Be Jesus-like in the way you approach things. And honestly, you know, you'd probably feel a lot better if you would just stay off Facebook um, completely. Uh, honestly, unless you have something really glorious and wonderful to enlighten the world with, um, Facebook is just... <laughs> yeah exactly what would we do with all our spare time you know but like the, the the world doesn't need more polarizing material right now um facebook debates in the comment threads is almost never a good idea um you know so ju- just think about those things and and really do your homework like if you're going to be sharing information please please be sure that it actually makes sense and that you're not just adding noise to an already chaotic situation that that is hurting a lot of people um you know church we're better than that we we really are um and then the third thing is just remember how the church has always handled these things you know what we're gonna pull through it we're gonna be just fine the church has been through a lot worse in the past um and the church has always had a really amazing testimony 
not, I mean, okay, I need to be careful when I use the word always, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. The church, you know, for the most part, has had a really good testimony during times like this. Um, and let's retain that. You know, it's a very valuable heritage, and we are set up at a prime opportunity to reach people who have never heard or would never consider interacting with a Christian. Um, now we have that opportunity. Uh, it, you know, we probably will never get an opportunity this amazing to serve the people around us probably ever in my lifetime, like, like this, um, let's really take advantage of that. So that's what I'd say the moral obligation to, to care for the people around us and to not get people sick. Yeah. Um, second, you know, stop spreading misinformation, you know, just, just take a break from Facebook. It's not the end of the world if you leave. And then the, you know, the third thing is the church has always made it through times like this it's our time to shine go for it find creative ways to serve church this is what you're made to do yeah right here this is it yeah that is good it is let's get back in scripture and find our view of the world based in scripture and not in our position on politics (laughs) that's a good point (laughs) yeah well thanks reagan for coming on and thanks for sharing um with us and challenging us with not only these three points, but with what you're doing through uh, Anabaptist COVID response team. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who wants to check out what they're doing more specifically and how you could be involved in it, specifically based in PA, New York area. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Basically, it's to inspire churches all over America to do what they can. To help. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, check them out on Facebook, anabaptistcovidresponse.org, I think. Did I get right. that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then um, also check out Reagan on Facebook and Anabaptist Perspectives, uh, Bronze Bow Media. I think that's your other, your media. That's my media team. Th- yeah. Team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And other yep. projects that you've got going. Um, pretty much just Facebook, Reagan, and you'll be able to find most of it, right? Is that correct? <laughs> yep. Yep. Twitter, uh, YouTube. Yep. Definitely hit me up. I'd love I'd love to hear feedback from people. Yeah, um, I, I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I'll try to drop links in the uh, the episode notes here to um, Reagan's Facebook and website and ways you can get a hold of Reagan. Thank you for taking the time, and hope you have a good rest of your week. And, and God bless you in your work. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Asher. I really enjoyed this. Yes, same again.